grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 29, okay? Isaiah would be, this would be right about in the middle of your Bible, uh, Isaiah chapter 29. I just want to start there for a minute. And God, as we're turning our Bibles to this passage, I just pray that our time in your word would be rich and deep and impacting. You have it all figured out. And I pray that we would have ears and hearts and heads that are fully engaged with you right now. Speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. Well, Isaiah, uh, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is uh, carrying a message of judgment to Judah and to Israel and the surrounding nations. And here in chapter 29, he is speaking specifically to Jerusalem, the center of everything where the temple is at. And he's speaking to them. And within this, he makes reference here to the signs that are coming for the dawning of the messianic age. In other words, what's going to be taking place when the Messiah is showing up and so forth. I just want to refer to these couple verses, verses 17 and 18. 17, is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field and the fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest? In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. Decades centuries before John chapter 9 that was stated. Now let's go to John chapter 9, where we're in our study through the gospel of John, okay? Now today, uh, if you notice in, in fact, let's go to the first slide, Bruce. I'm kind of advancing ahead of you here. Uh, I noticed I had a couple of people mention, hey, uh, do you like do any sermon prep? Because there's no notes here for me uh, in, in your update there. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to be, uh, we had to print the, the update earlier in the week, and so I didn't have it all, all together. But these are the, in essence, in this chapter, we're going to see Jesus step into the life of a blind man, and we're going to be observing these other five groups, individuals of people in their interaction with this event that takes place. And if I could sum it up, I'd sum it up this way. Uh, The disciples talked, the neighbors inquired, the Pharisees fussed, the parents caved, but the blind man stood up. Say that one more time as we get in. The disciples talked, the neighbors inquired, the Pharisees fussed, the parents caved, but the blind man took a stand. Let's start chapter nine. Got your Bibles open, ready to go? Okay, let's, let me start again. Got your Bible open, ready to go? We ready to get into God's word? All right, awesome. As he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth. So how long had this guy been blind? From birth, for his entire life. Okay, important point here. So what we're saying is, is he wasn't a teenager and was helping his family, say, out in the field and had a tragic accident and got his eye poked out or both of them. That's not what happened, right? Okay. And we're not saying that he, because we don't really know how old he is. We're not saying that he, as an older gentleman, uh, got cataracts and went blind for some. We're not saying that, correct? We're saying he was blind from when? Birth. Blind from birth. birth. Verse 2. 
and his disciples. We're going to start out here with the, taking a look at this first group, the disciples. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And he goes on. Let's just pause here. I want to take some minutes here on the disciples and their interaction here. The disciples are walking along and all of a sudden they see a blind man, blind from when? Birth, blind man from birth, and he's there and he's begging. Now, in that day, with this kind of situation, if you're blind, um, there's no social security, there's no other kinds of helpful tools to be able to financially help. Basically, you, in many ways, I'm just saying in many ways, you were a, a financial, just a financial burden on the family, so you had to do something. And so it was common in the days with something like this that people with this kind of disability would go and beg because that was really the only option that they had. And so he was begging, and so the disciples are coming along, and, and actually in the text we see that Jesus doesn't introduce us to this blind man who introduces us to this blind man. The disciples do. This is, I think this is actually important. The disciples point out that there's this blind man, and, and they see this blind man, and they see him begging, and, 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 and I just want, I go, way to go, guys, way to go. Because as you look at what they're saying here, part of what they're doing is somewhat what I've talked in weeks past. They're, they're, they're trying to bring real life into a biblical God framework. They're trying to think the eternal in the situation. Um, because they're not just talking about, I wonder what happened to him. They're talking about some spiritual thing with them. So I go, way to go, guys, really, way to go. We should be that. As we go through life, we're to be seeing life through the grid of Scripture. Now, two problems. One, the theology that they bring to the situation is bad theology. Let's go back to what do they say. Rabbi, talking to Jesus, who sinned this man or his parents that he's blind? And he was born blind, right? Okay. Let's talk on this. This is bad theology. Now, we would all agree, if you have any familiarity with the Bible, that there are consequences to sin, correct? A, a statement said, choose to sin is a, a choice to sin is a choice to suffer. Uh, there are consequences of sin uh, that take place, even though God can forgive sin, fo- absolutely, but there are consequences to sin. But this is not. This is not. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it teach This idea that something like a child born blind is caused by a mother's sin or a father's sin. Now, we have to understand that back in their day, the common cultural religious thinking was that that was the case. That if a mother ate, a a pregnant mother ate a a food that had been uh, uh, put before an idol that there's a possibility that that would be a result of a child being born with a disability. That's not how this works, okay? In this situation, that is not how this works. But yet in that day, that's what they taught. It's kind of like if you know about the story of Job. Job has all this stuff come up, and his friends are kind of like, Job, come on, dude, what did you sin to have this suffering happen to you? And the answer is none, okay? There's a lesson here I just want to start off with this morning. Be careful of where you get your theology. And I just want to ask it this way. Are you getting your theology from the world and the Bible or from the Bible? 
We're all susceptible to this. It's just the reality. We live in a culture, and it's hard for us to think outside of that culture. In the study of the scriptures, one of the things we try and do is we try and understand at the time of the context what's taking place to kind of wash off some of our culture. Let me just throw out some bad theologies that are out there today that Christians so often embrace. Here's one. You need to love yourself more. Listen, got that one nailed. Got that one nailed. In fact, the scriptures tell us that our problem is we love ourselves too much. Because we love ourselves so much, I don't need a savior. Listen, that's just baloney. That's just not what scripture teaches. Here's another one. Accept Jesus into your heart. By the way, that Jesus into your heart really isn't even a biblical terminology. Accept Jesus into your heart and you'll be healthy, wealthy, and you'll have no life trials. Really? That's not what the scriptures teach. Here's another one. The goal of life is my happiness, and Jesus can come and help fulfill my happiness. That's baloney too. The goal of Christ is to grow you and I to become more like Christ. That's the goal. And out of that, there's joy. And joy is superior than to this happiness fluffernutter stuff going on. Okay? I have no idea where fluffernutter came from. But it sounds really good right now. Here's another one, and I'll just tell you straight up, I wish this was actually true. Always lead to God. Then God must be a complete and total schizophrenic. That's so not true. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus said, but through me. It's hard truth, but it's the reality. And just another is kind of a lot of this comes out of the, well, I just grew up believing. Okay, cool. But is it biblical? That's the bigger issue. So here in this, this is one of these things where I just want to challenge us at this point. Uh, Be careful with our theology. We get our theology from scripture, not from culture. Here's one more thing I kind of want to uh, use in this scenario because actually what we see is we don't see the disciples making any step into this guy's life, but we do see them talking about this guy and talking theology. Let me put it this way. Talking theology often evades life engagement. Another way of saying that is too much orthodoxy can lead to fruitlessness. What am I talking about? Have you noticed that a good bit of Christianity oftentimes stays in theology world? You know, just talk the philosophical, talk the theological angles of an issue or passages or various people over time. And, and we keep it in this debate talk kind of a place. Sharing how much we know, potentially at times just to impress others. Maybe, I hope that's not the case, but I will say this. Oftentimes, it ends up being where talking theology becomes a very convenient way of staying at a distance. You see, I can just talk and talk and talk, and I don't have to dive in. This is what the Pharisees were all about. Frankly, it's easy Christianity. It's armchair Christianity. It's Christianity that ends up building people with big Bible heads 
and weak spiritual muscle. And oftentimes today, actually, church is designed to be comfortable and easy. So often church is structured, and many of you know what I'm talking about. Come on Sunday morning and sit and be taught. And then go to your adult Bible fellowship and sit and be taught. And then go Sunday evening and sit and be taught. And then come back on Wednesday and be sitting and being talked to. And out of this grows this idea that the church, frankly, we idolize teaching. We idolize teachers and we idolize being taught. Man, Layman Bob, boy, can he teach. He's got the biggest adult Sunday school class or the biggest whatever going on with people. Sam or Sally, man, they so know all the theological issues of the Bible. Hey, I'm all about theology. Hear me. I'm not saying don't talk theology. I'm not saying don't jump into theology. But listen, theology becomes a great way to stay at a distance. And the idea of even, I'll just take it as Eric talked this morning, the idea of me as an adult jumping into a children's ministry class and to love on them with the fame of the name of Jesus Christ for 90 minutes. Nope, can't do that because that's not my thing. And 70% of the next generation after high school bags the local church. I want to be connected with other believers. I want to be with the believers that have the same interests as me and hobbies in me and are in the same life stage as me. Serious? Are we really that surfacey? Send money, just don't send me. Love the poor, love the hurting, love the incarcerated. I'm just waiting for the church to organize the program to do that. Do the altar call. I love watching people respond. Plus, it gets the call and the burden of me jumping in and sharing Christ with people off my back. I'm being hard, aren't I? Give up some of my time. Give up some of my money. Give up my favorite TV show night. Give up the emotional energy. I don't have time. Okay, I'll do it if it's, there's measurable results that come out of it. I'll do it if it turns into a really cool video uh, God at work testimony. I'll do it if I enjoy it. I'll do it as long as I won't get burned. I'll do it as long as someone doesn't take advantage of me. Friends, it's hard to step into people's lives. 
it costs. It's risky. It's messy. But it's biblical. Are we going to be the church with a nice piece of property and a sweet building to live in so that we can be conveniently comfortable to talk? I hope not. I'd rather not have a building. So what are you going to do about it, Pastor Doug? What's the program you're now going to unleash? None. None. I want to say this. I am so proud of this church and so many. We have had in the last three and a half years nearly a hundred people go outside of the borders of the U.S. A church our size. We have small groups without me even knowing it. Go and serving at Wheeler Mission. Small groups without me even knowing it. Going and serving in the ministry under the bridge in downtown Indianapolis. We have people that are doing things. We had teens yesterday come to our house and ask if they could rake the six leaves in my yard. We have people who are putting together Christmas boxes to send to people other places around the world that we don't even know who they are. We have people who are loving on the incarcerated. We have people who are putting the time and effort and the hurt and the pain and the joy into leading small groups. Way to go. Way to go. I wanted to take a big pause moment right here on this. Not to chew us out but to challenge us up. Jesus answered, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, no, 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 the bad, bad theology, let me help you understand, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Verse 4, we must talk the talk of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can talk anymore. Is that what it's saying? No. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Listen, while we are here until we see God face to face and move into the eternal state reality, listen, we have all eternity to be able to sing. But now we're here to work. That's what he's teaching them. That's what he's helping them with. It's about working and getting at it. I am the light of the world. Oh, verse five. As long as I am, what's the next word? 
in the world. By the way, in the world is not outside of the world. It's not like at a distance. He is like smack dab right in the party. In the world. And he is the light of the world. Very, very special statement being made. Let's keep on going. Verse 6, having said these things, he spat on the ground. No, I won't do sound effects. And made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. By the way, it's really interesting when you read about so many commentators and so forth people. This is kind of one of these things where it's like, you know, it's, it, it's sending them to this place called sent. And what does that mean? And, and, and the spit and the dirt. And what does that mean? And, and it's intriguing because in the scriptures we find various places that jesus did it in different ways we find it somewhat times that what he did was he came in and he just spit on their eye on his hand and put it on their eye another time we find he just touches their eyes this one he spits in the dirt and makes some mud and put it it's all like okay all together oh oh why does he do this uh, you know what don't know I will think part of the reason is is because if he did it the same every time, we're the kind of people that would be in love with the means in which he did it and miss the one who did it. And so it's like, I don't know, what do I feel like now? I don't know, let's just like hang a spitball in the dirt right now. And he's just like, hey, let's just go after it. I love this. Jesus is just so, this is all about Jesus. It's not about the manner in which he's doing this. So he went, washed, and he came back, and what happened? He could see. By the way, how long had he been blind? His whole life. That's a moment. That would go in the Christmas letter, wouldn't it? You betcha. Verse 8, now the neighbors, the neighbors. And those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Uh, some said it is he and others said no way i think it's his twin brother i think this is like a david copperfield magic trick look behind the curtain you know i would be wondering the same thing in this process but i love this guy's response and so they said no it's no one's like him and he the formerly blind man kept saying i am the man (laughs) it probably wasn't emphasized like that but that's just a modern day way and he's like listen i'm the man I'm the man. I'm the man that you're talking about. Please, I'm the man. Here we go. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? Great question. And he answered, the man called Jesus. We're going to see a progression of this guy and where he moves to in his understanding. It's a man called Jesus, just some guy with a name Jesus. He made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. And then they said to him, where is he? That's a great question. And he said, what? Isn't that interesting? Jesus does this, and then he's like, gone. Now, uh, let's keep on going. By the way, the miracles are there so that we can be able to understand who Jesus is. And the miracles are launching pads for discussions. And at times we see Jesus actually pull away from what's going on. I think to let it faster and get talked about and and grow so here we go verse 13 now the pharisees 
they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now, this would have been the right thing to do. Because, again, we just don't get it. We don't get community like they got community in that day. This was small town. So, like, if you're in Danville, you're going to get it a little bit more, but you still don't even get it at all. I don't mean anything like you, you're not smart enough to get it. It's just in our world that we live. Everybody lived. It was like a commune almost. Everybody was in each other's backyard and neighbors. and worried. Everybody knew everybody. And part of what would happen is something happened like this. It's like, especially if it's possibly a miracle, well, you take it to the spiritual leaders in, in, in your community, and, and that's what was happening here. So they did the right thing. Now let's see how the bad boys are going to handle this. Verse 14, now it was a what day? Uh-oh, whenever you hear the Pharisees and Sabbath, you know something's about to go down. Okay, so let's read it. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how, again, how he received his sight. And he said to them, he he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now that is a lesson for me of concise speaking. You know, just get to the point. Land the plane. What happened? He spit, rubbed dirt. I washed. I see. The gospel's not that hard. The gospel's not that complicated, folks. We're sinners, as a result, separated from God. God came, died, and has provided a redemption from our sin. Receive him. That's it. It's really quite simple. Love love how he puts it all together. Verse 12, they said to him, uh, I'm sorry, we're not verse 12. What verse are we in? 16, some of the Pharisees said, the man is not from God. Wow, I'm so glad you guys know all. The man is not from God, for he, and they're speaking of Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So John 5, exact thing what took place when we studied through John chapter 5. Here's the deal. This guy's been blind since birth, and now he can see. Is that not something that you would, I don't care if I didn't know this guy. Was that not something you should get fired up about? Yeah, you can see, even if I don't know you, that is awesome. But not here, not with the bad boys of the Bible, which really was not the Old Testament Bible at all. It had become their scriptures. And so here they are. The guy sees, and they're like, this is so sad. It was done on the Sabbath. Again, we see the hearts. This is so sad, folks. So sad. Some of the Pharisees said, the man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? Way to go, other Pharisees. And there there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, let's check our facts again. What do you say about him since he opened your eyes and he said he is a prophet? We'll come back to that. Verse 18. Now we go to the parents. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? That's just weird. Verse 20, his parents answered, we know that this is our son and we know that he was born blind. You would think if anybody knows 
someone's born blind, it would be parents, right? Are they good witnesses? Can we agree? Good witnesses? Okay, good witnesses. He was born blind, verse 21. But how he now sees, we don't know. Could you imagine, parents, if this was your child, and all of a sudden he comes back and he can see? This is like, get the frozen pizza out of the freezer. We're having a party tonight. Okay, maybe not the frozen pizza. Okay, but this is a moment to celebrate. They have to be thrilled. But now he sees, we do, how he sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. All of this sounds very, very understandable. Apparently they weren't there. But look in the parenthetic statement that's to follow. It help fills us in what's going on. Verse 22. His parents said these things. Why? Because they feared the Jews. And that's talking about the leadership. For the Jews, the leadership had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, the fear of man brings a snare. What were they fearful of? They did have something to fear, if you want to put it that way. What would happen is at this point in time, if they were to now at this point confess or to say, well, is this Jesus and any allusion to that he might be the Christ or anything like that, what was going to happen is the Pharisees would excommunicate him. They would kick him out. They would, in essence, view them as an unbeliever, as a pagan. And they could not come back to the synagogue community anymore. Uh, Their whole life would be changed. Their friends, their relationships, their whole connections and business would be changed. So they copped out. I have to say, this is just really sad. I mean, wouldn't his parents, wouldn't this be a time where you just want to rejoice with your son and in the truth that is behind how it happened that way? And yet the reality was they were more concerned about their social community being lost than they were about allowing God, Yahweh, to work through them in a big God kind of a way. May that not be us. Verse 24, so now we come to the man, the formerly blind man. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Now, understand this. When we first read this, uh, we really mess this up. They're not praising God. They're not mocking the praise of God. This is actually the statement that was used in the swearing in at a court hearing. You know how we'd have the thing where it's like, uh, you know, do do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, that thing? That's what this statement is. Okay, so when they say right here, give glory to God, they're making a, in essence, you are now in a court hearing, in essence, and you are now about to declare truth, understand you're being watched, the judges at hand. And we know that this man is a sinner, referring to Jesus. Uh, He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Any (laughs) cross-examination? This guy, by God's grace, was just stating so much wisdom here at this point. I mean, he's just like, you know what? Uh, Let's just not do the theological ditty dance. Let's just do this. Um, Here's all I know. All I know. All I know is this. Once I was blind, now I see. That's all I know. But where do you base that on? I just, that's all I know. Hey, evangelism, by the way, doesn't take a whole lot to know. That's all I know. 
I just know what God has done in my life. That's all I know. So they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open his eyes? And he answered them. (laughs) It's getting pretty cool here. I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become one of his disciples? No. I, I, I think this is the kind of statement where he's just speaking truthfully from his heart. I don't think this is the kind of thing where he's standing there going saying, what do you say now, girl? You know, that kind of thing. This is what uh, I'm bad. Uh, but here he's in essence just saying, listen, so push back. You're going to push me? You're going to push me? Listen, you can go ahead and keep pushing. Keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. But I'm just going to tell you one thing I know, and I'm standing on that baby. And I'm going to push back. If you want to push my theology, I'm fine to push back on theology. But I only know one theology. I was blind, now I see. But I'll fight that one to the core. Okay? And we see this pushback. And there's huge ramifications for this guy. Verse 28, and they reviled him. (laughs) I'm sure they did. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple but we, oh yeah, proudness, we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Ask. Dudes, just ask. Oh, by the way, Isaiah 29. In the time of the Messianic age when the Christ would be coming, things like this would be happening. And these guys had access to those truths but they forgot him. They were so into their thing that they forgot God's thing and they missed the big picture. They reviled him. You are his disciples. We are disciples of Moses. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now there is some awesome theology. Awesome theology. Awesome, 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 awesome theology brought to bear on the real life situation. Verse 34, they answered him. Look at this is just, everybody say sad. Oh, look at this. You were born in utter sin. Uh, Just, seriously, that's just gross. A child born blind. And they're just coming back with a smack talk. You were born in utter sin, you low life. And you would teach us? So they cast him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. Underline that. Here's what happened. Jesus wasn't there when all this was taking place. All these eyes, all these people around him, 
And yet he stood up in the reality of what was going on because this was a moment in time that he was going to take a stand because he needed to take a stand here at this time in his life. And so he takes a stand and Jesus isn't there to know about it, but he's, he hears about it and he goes looking for this dude. Love, now that's a shepherd. And he goes looking for his sheep and he's looking after him and he's finding him and look at what he brings to him. Do you believe in the son of man? Now, I don't have time like I did last week to spend on the Son of Man. The Son of Man is not talking about father, son as inferior, inferior. It's not talking about more mature, less mature. It's not talking about an image kind of like, but yet there's a distance between the two. No, back in that day, son meant equal to. He was saying, I am equal to man. Oh, what a cool statement when gone to the cross. But you have to also take this. We talked last week, Daniel 7. Daniel 7 says that the Son of Man is the one who will come and sit on the throne as a king over a kingdom. All nations will be speaking to him. All will be serving him. He is the Lord on the throne. So when he asks this, he's not just saying, do you believe I'm kind of like going to be going to the cross? He's referring back ultimately to the Old Testament. And this man responds here. And he says, and who is he? Doesn't even know yet. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Oh, don't go by that. He's seen him. He hasn't just heard about him. He can now see. You've seen him now. And uh, you've seen him. And it is he to whom you are speaking. And he said, Lord, I believed. And he worshiped. Very important, you know, just the time. Last week, we talked about in John chapter 8 uh, about how people believed, but yet Jesus knew that they really didn't believe. They believed that he could be the one sitting on the throne to make their life all cool and cool. And then what ended up happening, if you remember well, last week when I bruised Todd, and I, by the way, I noticed you're way up top today, <laughs> in that, that what happened was, is what was happening is they said, yeah, we believe in you. And then they just kept pushing back and pushing back and pushing back and pushing back, but not here. What's the difference? They say, I believe that you are the one, and they worshiped. Completely different life response. And Jesus knows the heart of all men, John 2, 25, and he knows what's going on. And Jesus sought him out, asked him the question, revealed himself to him, and here this guy believes. Verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. When the light comes into the world, it reveals real blindness. And the light has come. As we wrap our time up here and transition into a time of communion, I just want to remind us here, the disciples talked it. The neighbors inquired about it. The Pharisees fussed about it. The parents caved in on it. But the blind man took a stand and took a public stand. 
I'd like to refer back here, verse 11. The first time the blind man, formerly blind man, refers to Jesus, he calls him a man called Jesus. That's just kind of like there's some guy in history whose name is Jesus. There's like a guy in history named George Washington. There's a guy in history named whatever. That's all he knew. Then verse 17, we say, where he responds saying that he's a prophet. Well, that's kind of different. There, there's, there's something unique there. Then in verse 33, the formerly blind man responds and he says, he's a man from God. He's a man of God. In other words, there's something spiritual with this guy going on. He's not just a man with the, man, with the name of Jesus. There's something happening. Then in verse 38, in essence, he's saying, Lord, I believe that you are the son of man. We see this progression along of understanding who Jesus Christ is. I just want to say maybe for you, if you're new into the Bible or if you've been in the Bible for a long time or been in church a long time, but yet when you look at it, you go, you know what, I'm still trying to figure out who Christ is. I want to encourage you to consider who is Christ. Is he just a man of history? Is he just some unique kind of had a special word in the period of time? Was he just a good example? Was he kind of a spiritual leader or was he the son of man, which means he was God in the flesh, the redeemer who came to pay the price for your and my sin? Who is he? Who is he? If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to strongly challenge you to consider doing so. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. How cool is that? Has there been a time in your life when you've driven the stake in the ground and said, I'm done living this way. I'm going to start living for Christ. If you haven't, I want to call you to consider doing so. It's a life course change. Follower of Christ. I want to encourage you and ask Are you stepping into people's lives? Or are you staying away from people's lives? God stepped in. And he stepped into our world. And he stepped into all kinds of people's lives. The whole gospel here is showing how he stepped into the lives of people. We're to step into people's lives with love, with care, with truth. And it's going to cost. It's going to cost time. It's going to cost money. It's going to cost things you'd like to do. It's going to cost emotion. It's going to cost some hours of sleep on nights. But we are here at a time in eternal history to do work. That's the purpose. I'm just going to kind of wrap it this way. I've been so gripped by this formerly blind man standing up, standing up when his parents caved in, standing up when his neighbors questioned even who he was, standing up when the Pharisees cussed him out. And standing up because he knew he needed to. 
And so today, before we take communion, I don't know, maybe for you, it's the kind of thing where it's like, you know what, there's just some stuff going on in my life where I just need to take a stand. I need to take a public stand. You know I don't do this very often at all. But maybe today here, it's the kind of thing where you just need to stand up and say, God, before you and before people, listen, I got to get after something. I've got to dig into finding out, do I know you as my savior? Or I've got to get after an area in my life. And here's the deal. If that's something where God's pressing on you to do that here, I want for you to do that. But yet one of the things I'm going to ask of you is that if that's the case, you have to tell somebody else about it today. Someone in your small group, We'll have people at the end of the service you can come up and we'll just pray for you for a second. It doesn't matter what it is, but the kind of thing to where it's about God, but it's also public before other people. Listen, standing does not make you more spiritual. Sitting does not make you less spiritual. But maybe for me this week, maybe there's just someone or some people that are just like, I got to make a stand. If that's the case, if you want to just make a stand, go ahead and make a stand. If no one wants to stand, that's fine. But if you want to, go ahead and make a stand. God is a good God, isn't he? Anybody want to stand? It's not like it makes the sermon successful. That's not the goal here. But that's fine if not. I just talk to people sometimes, and sometimes people are like, I just wish someone else would stand before I would. Anybody? Let's all stand together. Let's stand. If I could have the folks with communion come on down and get ready and position for communion. Lord, I want to thank you so much for being the model of what it looks like to live for you. You came and you stepped into our lives and you got engaged, you got involved, you made yourself available. And Lord, you know it. I and we struggle with our selfishness. I and we struggle to be about ourselves, to be about comfy, cozy world. And yet, Lord, you stepped out of the comforts and the wonder of heaven to come into our sin-cursed world. That's radical. I want to thank you for stepping into our world. And God, the reality is, as a result of you stepping into our world, everything changes. Lord, I would pray if there's anyone here this morning that is just trying to consider where they're at in the relationship with you, the Lord, that you would just continue to encourage them and make your words strong, that the Spirit of God would do a grand work in their lives and that they would ask and we could come alongside and help. And Lord, for those who know Christ as our Savior, Father, I pray that we would be the kind of people that when we consider the cross and the one who died on the cross for our sin, you, that it would cause us to just to go, oh my goodness, I'm all in. May we be a church that is fired up about Jesus Christ and not on the perimeter issues. Centered on you.